So I geek out about how teams made up of different specialties and trainings can collaborate together effectively. So I geek out about show tunes, really good chocolate, and helping startups be more successful. Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Felicia. What's going on? Not not too much. It's another beautiful day here in Boston. You're being very sarcastic because okay. it's actually gross and raining right now. <laughs> and it's like almost June. I know. So done with it. So done with these boots. <laughs> well, it's kind of ironic that it's raining today because our next um, interviewee for today's episode is Janina. And we recorded with her in New York. And we joke a lot that every other time that we've ever been to New York, it has been disgustingly cold and raining and like torrential downpours. <laughs> but this time when we were there, it was beautiful. It was so lovely there. <laughs> the weather was perfect. We were yes. we stayed way downtown in the Wall Street area and um, got to hang out by the water. And it was lovely. And I yeah. always say that I don't really want to ever live in New York, but I was almost convinced after that Whoa. week. Whoa. See, it's all about weather. I know. It really is. Yeah. Makes or breaks a place. Yeah. But it's like, oh, this is delightful. Don't. No. And don't, though. Don't do it because it's not going to be <laughs> like that not? all the time. It's not, actually, sure. Do it. But don't expect that weather to be. Uh, you got to move to L.A. I know. <laughs> well, speaking of delightful, Janina yes. is also delightful. She is. And I think you'll re- really enjoy listening to her. Yeah. All right. And we're on. Okay, great. Uh, hi, Rachel. Hi, Felicia. And hi, Janina. Hi, hi. Janina. Hi, everyone. <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, for, thanks for coming to the Flatiron School, one of our favorite places in New York. So <laughs> You're making it sound like we only have two places that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Flatiron School. They're so well, The nice. other location... Is not too far, right? Is um, is it NoHo? Do they you have guys? Enough? Well, when you had the event that I spoke at, <gasps> oh, so yes, that was, yeah, it so was. That was um, Digital Ocean. So yeah. you were one of our speakers at our um, was it November? It was or November thirtieth, two thousand sixteen. <laughs> yes. I remember it very distinctly because it changed my life, <laughs> which we will not get into now. But it's a story for another time. Yes. Okay, but, um, but you were this amazing speaker, and so after you spoke, we were like, we have to get her on our podcast. Correct. And then it only took a couple months. It only took six months to get there, but we did it. Um, Sorry about that. No, oh. it's, not, it's not your fault. It's crazy, it's crazy travel. Yeah. Well, and we don't live here either, so right, and we right. love to do these things in person if we can. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. I've been keeping in contact from a distance. Yes. Oh, there you go. Guys. The world is both large and small. Thanks yeah. to technology. Yes. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so um, you are currently a global bioinformatics specialist at a company called Illumina. Mm-hmm. Um, and you gave this great talk about sort of your career journey and your history. Um, and I would love to start off with um, a little bit more of like your personal story before yeah. we get into what you actually do right sure. now. So one of the things that um, I found out about you <laughs> from your talk <laughs> back in November was that you're the daughter of two college dropouts. And I would love to know um, how you ended up you know, going to college, getting a master's degree, getting a PhD, yeah. and now doing the work that you're doing because that's really impressive. Yeah. Um, so it's it's funny because when I think about how I made it to where I am now is when I really start to realize that there are a lot of external factors that contribute to one's success or exposure. And so um, both of my parents, they, were, they weren't the first to go to college. Um, so they both came from, my mother didn't come from college educated parents, but my dad did. In fact, my grandfather had a PhD. Okay. Um, he had a PhD, got his PhD in 1978 from Tulane University. In what? In social work. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So he was a big civil rights activist. He had been on Oprah. What? He was once the president of a hundred black men, which oh, is this wow. yeah. national organization. And so... You know, I guess you could say I was always exposed to higher education and I had the access to the tools to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, But my parents 
per se. Um, they both started school and didn't finish. Now, my mother finished post-Katrina. Actually, okay. Katrina was motivation for her to go back to school. Wow. Mm. Um, so she finished college uh, maybe about six, seven years ago. Okay, um, very cool. Yeah. So I guess the an- to answer your question, um, because my parents were always working, I was always with extended family, those being my grandparents um, or my great aunts. So both of my, my dad's parents have, one has two siblings, the other has 12. So oh I have God. a huge extended family in New Orleans. <laughs> two, huge 12, extended family whatever. in New Orleans, yes. <laughs> so like my great grandmother, um, but my parents were always very focused on education. And so my dad um, didn't work a lot. That wasn't his thing. Um, working for the man, as he likes to say, <laughs> was not his thing. But what he did definitely do is make sure that we had the education at home and so we would play math games he was he was more of a stay-at-home dad and I didn't realize how untraditional or how great that would be until later I didn't appreciate it because mm. <laughs> we didn't have we couldn't afford all the cool stuff but we knew a lot of stuff right. and we were really educated and so um, I would just say my parents while not finishing college definitely instilled in us the value of education and they made sure that we were exposed and they made sure that you know we excelled in school wow wow (laughs) so okay so you decided to do this this career path tell us a little bit about that yeah okay so i was always interested in science mainly you know when you're a little kid uh, and your parents friends they always ask you it's kind of like what do you want to be when yeah. you grow up? Like those <laughs> yeah. standard, like like it's the question making conversations. That's how you make conversations <laughs> with kids. Like, what's your favorite subject in school? That's the question you get at seven. And so, <laughs> at that time um, in New Orleans, our second language was like French, and right. I really did not do well in French. I don't know why I just didn't do well. Um, Languages aren't your thing. That's totally cool. It, you know, the the irony of this story is that I actually went on to get a minor in Spanish when what? I went to college. <laughs> um, but at seven, I was just like French, like, and I got a C in French. And I remember just being devastated oh. because like, who gets C's in elementary school? <laughs> and, like, I mean, it happens, but like, it was, yeah. So anyway, fast forward, I, in my mind, put my favorite subject as to whatever subject that I was doing the best in. Which yeah. is, and so, that's very normal. Yeah. Yes. And so, like I was telling you, my dad was kind of a stay-at-home dad, and he taught us all these, like, tricks on math. Mm. Huh. And so we would drive around, and, like, if we were looking at license plate numbers, we would add all the numbers, yeah. subtract them all, divide them all, you know, do all these, like, fancy application math um, Mm -hmm. things. And so I was always doing well in math. Um, And then science became interesting when there was a project because I'm kind of competitive in a way. And so (laughs) um, I was always trying to like be very creative with my science projects. And so by the time I got to high school, I just started competing and then science became this big thing. All right, wait. Yeah, let's ask about these science science projects. Yeah, I want to ask. I want to ask. No, no. No, I wanted to to ask, like you said, you were really competitive. So what was like the best of all of? My science, it's so funny. So I have a story. <laughs> My science fair projects were, um, okay, competitive relative to what everyone else was doing. Sure. Like, no one took it serious, right? right? So, you know, you had the volcanoes, <laughs> the volcanoes and you. Exactly. The volcanoes yeah. and the ant farms yeah. and, you know, can plants grow with water or ice? I don't know. Weird Potato, stuff like that. that yeah. Of, yeah. And so what I started doing, if you guys, you know, back when we had like real books with paper. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> there would always be these things in the end of the chapter. You know, your teacher would say, oh, you do answer these questions. And there was another set of like applied questions mm. that we never touched, right? And so what I would do is I would go in the textbook and just pick out one of those experiments and one of those like in the back of the chapter that huh. was like, you know, applied. And if your teacher was really great and she did all these extra application things with you, which we never had that, but <laughs> I would use that as the basis of the science project. And so that's how I would come up with like different science projects. And um, the year, so when I went to high school, I won at my school and then I went on and won at the city state fair, which took me to the state 
Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I went at the city fair, which took me to the state right. fair. Right. Um, and yeah, so I was always winning at school, but I had never won like on the city level. And I did not win when I got to state, but it was such a big deal for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, what was going. what was the pro- like? What was the thing? I'm trying did? to remember. Um, I know. It was, I can't believe it's not burned in your brain. <laughs> I know it was something to do with botany. It was around plants. Okay. And I can't remember. It was around plants and like photosynthesis. This was high school, so it was very complicated. Yeah, I was I like, it does see, not sound like it's I something that it's just like. I can't seem to remember exactly what <laughs> I did. I do know the funny. The funny story about this is the following year, I was like, yeah. okay, now you know I got to live up to last year. I got to do something yeah. way better. <laughs> and one of my best friends, who actually lives here in New York, he was like, "Can I borrow your science project from last year?" <laughs> and so he used the same project in a different class, and he won. No, so it was a good project. It was a good yeah, project a that I can't project. remember apparently, <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's how the that's how the interest in science became a thing. And then my crazy parents got pregnant my senior year of high school. Right. Yeah. Because you have a much younger sister. Yeah. So I have a brother who's 19 months younger. And then I have a sister who's 18 years. Yeah. Wow. And so my mother had all these like funky, weird complications because, you know, she was having um, a child in her mid 40s. Anyway, long story short, um, when I got to Spelman, which is where I went for undergrad, I was determined to be an OBGYN. And uh, luck would have it, biology, you know, I took all these biology classes. And this was before I learned how I learn, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, we can talk about that later. Yeah, but thanks. I was really not doing as well in college because I didn't understand what type of learner I was. But I can come back to that. Long story short, my favorite subject, of course, in college was the one that I got an A in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got an A in genetics. And right, because so, you ended up getting into statistics and genetics, and that's what I was going to ask you about. And now right. I know it's because you just did well at because I got an A in genetics, so I must be good at it, right? <laughs> and um, I got an A in genetics, and so I was in a re- I was in several research programs um, to get experience, but then also, you know, it was another way of income. And I worked with. <laughs> A Nigerian professor who, mind you, like everyone. So Spelman is an all women's African American college, and our professor he just recently he did his postdoc here, but he's you know born and raised in Nigeria, and so his idea of women's capabilities were just way off. I'll just say that. (laughs) So Spelman was not a place for him. Right? It doesn't sound like the best. No, like to this day, the professor, the other professors in the department are like, gosh. Guy. Remember that, yeah. <laughs> um, but oddly enough, he and I got along very well, and so I worked in his lab, and it was a genetics lab. And he was it was the first time that I was exposed to doing research that was not confined to a bench. Mm. And so we had, you know, projects that we would do that were actual physical experiments, and then we had this whole other side where we would you know, look in these databases and do more bioinformatics. Mm. And so that was the first time I was exposed to it. Mm. And I really liked the fact that I could do stuff on a computer and not be dependent on, you know, pipetting or whatever. Because it's it's annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, you know, a lot of the research is dependent on how the mice feel that day or if you accidentally forgot to pipette water in that tube, you know. And I just... (laughs) I realized That's the stuff that nobody talks about. Yeah, I realized. I mean, I remember I was doing my first um, PCR reaction, and it took like almost What's a PC- month and a month and a half for me to get it right. So basically, it's a method where you amplify DNA. Oh, and like you. Um, you um, isolate it and then you amplify it, and it took me a month and a half to figure it out, and then I realized. You know, I mean, I didn't realize, and I was just like annoyed. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I, so the the computational, um, the computational science was really, really nice for me because you have a little bit more control over the data. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So I want to hear what kind of learner yeah, you let's, are. Let's, let's, let's yeah. go back to that. You just yeah. kind of dropped that in there. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so one thing that I tell my mentees and, and I tell people is that when I was in, when you're in K through 12, the way 
that I was being taught, then you have a test, you take the test, you, they tell you sometimes what to study for for the test. And so if you're good at memorizing, you do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even for like the standardized tests. So I had mastered that. But when I got to grad school or even when I got to college, it was a little bit more than that. It was also more applied. Mm-hmm. And so I knew how to memorize and regurgitate. Um, and all of my tests when I was in college weren't necessarily like that mm. because they were all being taught by, you know, crazy scientists like me who <laughs> at that point were very applied in terms of their learning styles and, and what have you. And so uh, I just didn't do great in undergrad. Um, and I don't think it was, I used to feel really down when I was in college, like, mm. oh my gosh, I'm just not as smart as everyone else, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And then I realized when I got to graduate school that that wasn't the case at all. It was that I didn't know how I learned. Right. And unfortunately, I had to learn this lesson the hard way, but I learned it. And um, so in graduate school, we have qualifying exams. Mm-hmm. And so part of the qualifying exams, at Vanderbilt at least, we had six professors who were on your committee and basically they would just sit you at a table well actually they were sitting and you were standing (laughs) um and they would grill you on general knowledge in the subject matter for two hours wow so you stood for two hours yeah in front of six in front of six mostly white men Uh, no i take that back the room was around half and half but um, you know, half it was daunting. Which half and half? Uh, male, female. Male, female. Okay. Yeah, but all all white, with the exception of no, my all white. Yeah, my yeah. advisor wasn't in there. Um, <laughs> like, no, she just came after. <laughs> um, but yes, and the first question they asked me, I completely screwed it up. And the way this works, it's it's kind of like what we're doing now. We start one question, we feed into, we naturally mm-hmm. feed into other questions. And that's how the exam was set up. And I Oh my God, is this really stressful for you right no. now? Okay. <laughs> You're like okay. having flashbacks. <laughs> we're gonna just this is this a friendly interview. audience. Okay. You're smiling. You're a weird, a weird ad in the middle. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. I just want to check in. Some of the professors, if you started a question wrong, they would I remember there was this one professor, she would like suck her teeth and roll her eyes. Oh, no. I can't believe you don't know this. <gasps> but I was really nervous about this test and like really nervous that I would fail. And I studied for like three months. And of course, I messed up the first question and it was just downhill after oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think I, I told this story during the talk. So I didn't pass yeah. the exam um, the first time. The very next week. I'm a very strategic person too. So like if something doesn't work, like, I'm like, okay, right. I got to try something else. And what I realized is like me studying by myself, that was cool, but that was not the type of studying that I needed. Mm. I needed to learn how to verbalize and really how to apply what I had learned. Yeah. And it was kind of in that moment when I realized, you know, I can't just read a book and expect it to happen. I have to teach it. I have to apply it in some way. And then that changed everything. And so the very next week, I started setting up these practice exams with like random older graduate students, my my mentor, and any friendly face that wanted to come and just grill me. And I, it was kind of like, I think most people wouldn't do it because it's kind of like torture. Like, why would you set yourself up (laughs) for a, and so I did the very next week and like the very next week, didn't study a thing. And like, it was amazing. Wow. Um, and so then I realized that it wasn't that I didn't know the information. It was that I really didn't know how to say it and how to um, apply it, like mm-hmm. talk about it in an application. Yeah, like which is, I mean, and that process is so hard, you yeah. know. Um, like we, have, or at least I've been thinking a lot about this, but we do these workshops and, you know, just reading something and intellectually understanding the information is not at all the same as actually opening your mouth and speaking it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just such an interesting, like, shift that happens. And I feel like a lot of people don't think about this. Oh, yeah. And it's true about language, too, I think. We were just talking about language at at lunch. And and for me, I've probably taken a total of, like, seven years of French. I lived in Geneva, a French-speaking country, I can understand it pretty well, but to actually say the words, very uncomfortable. Do not care for it. And I think it's all sort of the same thing. It's being able to verbalize. Yeah. It's a totally different skill. 
And it seems like you were just being really practical. Like you were just, this is, this like is, that this was is different. missing piece. Yeah, exactly. Like I, you like found it. <laughs> I took all the, like, yeah. I literally, there was one student, bless her heart. She was so nice. She would meet with me on Friday mornings and she was like the smartest person in the department. She would make an hour time and meet with me on Friday mornings and just go over genetics. But I was so like she was all warm and fuzzy, like you guys, and just like so nice. So, you know, Are you and implying then I was, that you yeah. were not. Yeah, I, I, and like from that point on, I really started to like embrace criticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually prefer to have those hard people around me because they make They're me making you better. so much better. Wow, I, it's torture a little bit, but. Ultimately, I win in the end. And We're going to be so much meaner going forward. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but <laughs> well, we want this to be the aside. best interview ever. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see how that ends up playing out. But I want to touch on this um, idea, which I think you've started to kind of dig into a little bit, which is this concept of mentorship, um, yeah. where basically you found this missing piece that you needed. And so you actively sought out mentors and trusted confidants who could help you get those skills that you needed. But one of the things that you were talking about, um, and this is a question that we kind of ask everybody that we come across, is what do you geek out about? And in your talk last fall, you said very specifically that you personally geek out about mentorship. So was that something that kind of stemmed out of this experience? Or was that already sort of in your in your head? Or, you know, what what made you sort of get into that aspect of things? I mean, most definitely, like, Um, I can't think of any job or opportunity that I've had if it wasn't for a mentor. And I mean, that goes really broad from a mentor just exposing me to something that I didn't know. Um, My mentor in graduate school, she literally like held my hand and walked me through. Um, she did that with all students, but like, I don't think I could have survived that without the, without her. And a lot of students didn't have that. And I realized that, you know, like I said, it wasn't the books, it wasn't, but it, that part, that part was what made the world of a difference. Mm-hmm. And so in every stage, it always has been really the mentors that I've had that really have set the bar and helped me move along. Um, I have a, a follow-up question. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people ask, you know, how do I get a mentor? It I was going like, to ask that. I mean, I was going to ask what you're going to ask. Yeah. So we're curious. You've had so many mentors. How have you gotten all of these amazing mentors? Um, it's, each one is different. I would say my graduate school mentor, that was just organic, like happened by chance. So the way it works in grad school, um, you get to pick your mentor. And so you come in as a big class of at Vanderbilt at the time, you have 12 departments, you have 100 students, and then you rotate into different departments and different labs and you work with different mentors. And you, typically, if they have funds, then they take students. And you know, if you like them and they like you, then it works out. And so I was originally going to work with a guy who was also at Vanderbilt. He did all this work on African populations and it just seemed really cool. And I like just always followed his work and I rotated with him and it was great. And then I rotated with um, my mentor. Her name is Dr. Crawford. And when I mentored with her, the experience I had was like, I got a feeling that not only was I going to learn for her from her, but she was going to advocate for me, mm-hmm. which is so important. Which is yeah. completely yeah. different than um, with the other guy. He's still great. He still is a great mentor, but um, and turned out to be a co mentor. So that just kind of happened because mm-hmm. I was able to make that choice. Right. Um, in other areas, I usually when I seek a mentor, I look for someone who has something that I don't. Mm. And so to fast forward that to after graduate school, when I came to New York at Mount Sinai, um, I was really looking for a mentor who was kind of the opposite of my mentor in graduate school, who needed my expertise, but didn't necessarily, like I had to prove to them that I was great, or so I thought I was great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then they would want to advocate for me. 
Right. That makes sense. Yeah. And so that was a challenging experience because my postdoc mentor, she's completely different. She's very hardcore. When people say women in science, there's a picture of her right next to it. (laughs) Because, I mean, unfortunately, people paint women in science as being very um, sometimes masculine and aggressive. Mm. Um, And in my postdoc experience, because I was surrounded by a lot of women in science, I realized that that's not necessarily true. Right. But I understand why people think that because in a professional setting, you almost have to be. Right. Because a lot of times you are the only woman woman in the room. And yep. most times, if you are in that room, you're also the youngest. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I see her kind of, when I saw her work like that, I was just, yeah. So anyway, to answer the question, my mentors have kind of worked out um, naturally And the students that I've mentored have also worked out that way. And so either um, they hear me speak or we know someone in common. Um, Do they ask you directly like, hey, I'm Joni and I want you to be my mentor? (laughs) I don't think it kind of comes from a, it kind of comes from um, my, the, the mentor, the mentee that I showed in the presentation who at the end had got accepted into Penn, where she is now. I saw her a couple of weeks ago. Um, I gave a talk at Mount Sinai, and it was supposed to be on like leadership in the laboratory. Um, but every time I give this talk at Mount Sinai, I always have students come up to me, and they always ask me because I, you know, I always open it up and say, you know, if you guys ever want to talk, mm. if you ever, if you want ideas on how you can be a leader in science, because a lot of people don't talk about leaders you know you just have like the person running the lab and all the people under Mm -hmm. them um and so you know students will email me and just say hey i want to bounce ideas off of you that's great and this particular young lady she asked to go to lunch and she wanted to talk about she wanted trying to figure out if she should go to an ivy league school Mm. or should she go to an hbcu okay And so we started talking and it was, you know, I gave her my honest advice. I didn't tell her like, oh, you got to go to Spelman. (laughs) Um, But it was just kind of, and that's, and we had a conversation and through the conversation, I think we both wanted more Mm. and it just kind of was like, well, keep me posted and let's meet up here and let's meet up there. And we kind of stayed in touch That's nice. since. Yeah. It sounds like two things. One is that it's very organic, but also you leave the door open. Oh, yes. So that I think is, you know, people are comfortable approaching you, which is a huge deal. Exactly. And I think when you're looking for a mentor, that's very important yeah. because – you don't necessarily want to be mentored by someone who's uninterested in mentoring you. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're like, oh, you know, like, if, they, if, they, if they already are kind of like, yeah. you know, then. Or if they're like, I'm always busy, whatever. Yeah. I don't have time. Like, you know, talk to my assistant, whatever. Like, Yeah. They're not, not really, they're not really interested. Yeah. And while that person may be great and yeah. someone you should stay in contact with, yeah. the term mentor is different. Right. Um, I was reading a book by Carla, I think her name is Carla Harris, and she talks about these 12 like pearls or something. We yes. okay, so, are okay. obsessed. Time out. Yes. <laughs> we saw her speak. I at saw the her Massachusetts speak. Conference for Women, but that's yes. where it was. Yes. And like she Loved. is, if anyone listening is Carla not familiar Harris. with her, check out this Pearls her, of Wisdom. Her Pearls of Wisdom. Yeah. She is a dynamo. <laughs> Did she like, sing for you guys after? No, no, she but so I know she's she is the, in the gospel choir. Yeah, and she put out like her own. CDs. She she gave us a little snippet <laughs> after she. So she's on the board of directors. She was. I don't know if she still is on the board of directors at Mount Sinai. Oh, okay. and so I on the limb went to like this women in science thing, and I heard her speak, and it was just like, oh my right. god, yeah, she is like on fire. Yes, <laughs> and she talked about the difference between a mentor, a sponsor. Yes, and I can't remember what the third one is. Um was more of like a friend right 
kind of thing. Yeah. And like that really resonated with me. Yeah. And I started to like really identify people who I thought were mentors were actually sponsors. And right. Mm-hmm. Like the, the like my that... PhD advisor, exactly. she was a sponsor. Yeah. Yes. Um, she, you know, if I'm not in the room, she's definitely advocating for yeah. me. Mm-hmm. And um, my mentor from postdoc is definitely more of a mentor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, read that book. I mean, yeah, I haven't read, I actually haven't read the book, but I have the well, extensive just notes. look up the pearls of wisdom. Yeah, um, find any I video of her so too. much from her from her speech. Oh when she was talking, I was just like tweeting like a maniac. Oh, it was all just gems. Of they wisdom. were they were pearls. actual pearls yeah. of pearls. wisdom. <laughs> they weren't literal pearls of wisdom, but they um, were. I like the idea though that you are you know kind of are, are covering here with this idea that um, mentorship is a two way street. So you're getting something yeah. out of it too when you're mentoring other people, um, and not just you know sort of giving away your knowledge. Like yeah. you're also getting something in return, which I think sometimes people who are either like interested in this relationship or looking for a mentor forget that they have something to offer too. And that's actually a really good point because something that we hear a lot too mm-hmm. is about finding someone that's a little bit different from you because then you end up that that relationship is much more mutually beneficial also it should be it definitely should be like as opposed to like a little mini me right like yeah (laughs) i haven't yeah all of my mentees have all you know given me wisdom or insight into different parts of the world and cultures that Mm. i just would not have been exposed to without mm. them. Who's your favorite mentee? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love you them feel all. Like all going to listen. I love <laughs> them all. <laughs> you can't ask that question. I can't. I it was a joke. <laughs> oh man. So Rachel, have you heard of this company called August? I have actually heard of this company called August, and I've actually been to their offices. What? And you were there with me. What? And That's we right. record and we actually <laughs> recorded a podcast. We did. And uh one of our favorite people on the planet, Chris Burnett, actually works there, and she's one of the coolest people we know. Yes. And um so yeah, so we're here to tell you guys a little bit about August. Yeah, so August is more than a month. It is actually a really cool <laughs> consulting company and they like to say they're a consulting company for the 21st century and from everything I've seen so far that is definitely true yeah they're doing things um in a way that I think very few other companies are are doing in terms of how they operate how they you know work on their values it's really really awesome and they're what and they're really about creating amazing teams they're Mm -hmm. about organizational change they're they're a consulting firm that really puts teams first they like say we're a team for teams and team of teams, <laughs> and they teams and, in there. and right and so what they're hoping for is for you to join their team exactly. Ah. You got it. I nailed it. <laughs> um, yeah, basically they're looking for more awesome people to join them, and they're just looking for people who can help them make a difference in the world. Um, so if you're interested in helping other teams and organizations change how they work, then you should get in touch with them. Yeah, they're based um, in New York and um, they have some offices elsewhere and um, they I love their values. So they value team, they value equity, they value joy. And I think mm-hmm. that that really speaks to us. Yeah. So we so hope you that it speaks to about- you too. Um, how companies operate or how teams function, organizational psychology and organizational development, then you should definitely get in touch with them. Where can they get in touch, Rachel? They can go to aug.co, A-U-G dot C-O. So really simple and short. And um, yeah, there'll also be a link to the website on our podcast episode notes. Cool. Well, um, I did want to also talk about, um, you know, with this idea of like getting things that you need and not necessarily having the mini me. Um, it's interesting because so with your educational experience, you actually were, um, the first African American man or woman, correct me if I'm wrong here, to graduate with a PhD, um, in genetics from Vanderbilt University. Yeah. Um, and wow. You obviously, first of all, amazing. Um, and <laughs> it's kind of sad, but it's kind of, <laughs> I mean, 
it's bittersweet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nuanced role that you're yeah. in here. Yeah. Um, but you clearly did not have anyone who looked like you sort of going before to look up to. And so I think that's where, first of all, this idea of having these mentors and sponsors is so important. But, um, you know, was that something that you were like thinking about that sort of role that you were embodying while you were going through this process or? Um, um, you know, the funny thing, I actually didn't know that I was the first until I just started looking around like, and I knew the program was fairly young. Yeah. And that's kind of how it happened. And, I, and this is a story. Um, I remember when I realized it, and I think maybe I said it for the first time, I was kind of nervous about saying it because I didn't know how everyone would feel about it, the people in the department. Mm-hmm. Um because I don't want to, you know, seem arrogant or like anything like that. And the first response I got was, oh, no, you're not. There's this other guy. And, you know, that's a crappy response to get first of all. <laughs> well, then you're like, um, oh. <laughs> no, it wasn't true. The other guy actually was at a different school. He just oh. worked in a lab there. So anyway. But anyway, oh, so. uh, it was like, gosh, being discredited like, already. Not even, yeah. <laughs> not even finished yet. Um, wow. It def- I didn't realize how important it was um, because learning, being in an academic setting and being successful encompasses so much. It's not just being smart. It's not just being punctual and doing your work. Um, it's also like how you, you know, how you manage your life work balance. Mm-hmm. And Vanderbilt, um, like Duke, was very, very invested in diversity. And so we had a diversity office and we had all these diversity extracurriculars. But when I was in my department, which after the third year or so, I was pretty much always just with my department. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of few. There was one who came one year after me. Um, and then we had people of color who worked in the department, but they weren't graduate students. Um but going back to my fabulous mentor <laughs> in grad school, um, I didn't even know it at the time that she was a woman of color. Um, so she's half Mexican and half white. And um, I didn't, you know, when you when you live in your own bubble, you have no idea, like, what things are outside of that bubble. Yes. So my lack of exposure to non-white, I mean, non-black people from high school to college and now in grad school was just, you know, in my eyes, if you weren't black, then Then you were were white white. (laughs) and, or, you know, or Asian. Um, and, and that's very ignorant, but at that time that was, that was your, that was my way of thinking. Um, and it wasn't, yeah. So anyway, long story short, um, I don't know when I realized that she was um, a minority. Maybe we just got to know each other a little bit better. But I always knew that there was something unique about her and our relationship, really the relationship she had with the other students and how invested she was. Mm. And so why she didn't directly look like me, she never made me feel like we were different. Mm. And I did feel like we, I was different from everyone else. Mm. And so that was really, really important because um, it made me feel comfortable and it made me realize that I'm a student just like everyone else. Yeah, wow. you had that support in, yeah. in place, yeah. which is so important. What made you choose Vanderbilt? Oh, that's interesting. So um, <laughs> mainly because I was um, – I was, was – one of very few options that I had at the time, just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> fair. Um, it was there. one of very few. <laughs> and I um, and I decided to go to grad school at the last minute. Mm. And so I didn't get into the schools that I wanted to earlier in the year that I was graduating. And so that I was going to take a post back position and go to D.C. and, and work at the NIH. Mm. Um, that sounds pretty great. Yeah, I was like, this is great. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make $27,000 a year. Yeah, I'm rich. <laughs> in D.C. I know. <laughs> I remember those post-college feelings. Yes. Like, yay. And then um, Vanderbilt, like, I literally found out that I got into Vanderbilt two weeks before I went. Wow. That's um, crazy. Yeah. It was mainly kind of my fault for not checking my email. Are you serious? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> 
I interviewed. And they still let you in. Right? I interviewed at other places and I didn't get in. So I think by that time I was just like You're not checked out. In. Like, like I'm not getting in. What up? Right? <laughs> Who needs to see another rejection email? Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> this was before. Like, you know, when you were getting into college, you either got a big envelope or a small one. Yes. Yep. So like if you got the small one, you knew if you didn't open it That's that right. it was a rejection letter. So it was fine. But with emails, it's so tricky. <laughs> what year, what year, and the subject is not true, even convincing, actually. right? It's not like congratulations or I don't know. They keep it really vague. Oh man, your application. Yeah, yeah. The results of your application. Your, like, <laughs> so that's the subject line. Right. Yeah. Oh, God, so like yeah. terrible. So this was when those started to come out. Um, <laughs> and I, um, yeah. So oh, that was right. kind of how it happened. And I literally had to make a decision if I'm going to take a job or if I'm going to go to graduate school. And I was really nervous about it. Um, I mean, that's a big decision. It was a big decision that I had no idea that I was making, right? Like, (laughs) and no one could really give me guidance on that. And so also one of the great things about mentoring is that you kind of have your experiences to kind of like tell people. So now I have friends who are like, oh, we want to go get a PhD. And like, hold it. Yeah. Before you do this. Because I mean, it's a long journey. How long were you? Um, I was... Four and a half years. That's actually relatively That's short. short. Yeah. Great to... mentor back yeah. to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I have friends who, you know, were there seven years. Yeah. Easy. I feel like that's standard. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. So I've never gotten crazy. a PhD. So. No, I don't have yeah. that much patience. I have friends who were there seven years. Um, so again, I realize the PhD is all about your mentor and all about kind of like your work life situation. So it can be, you know, I have an uncle and it took him 10. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be a long, you know, a longer short period. Um, But it was just kind of like, oh, why not? Like, okay. When did did you graduate? Um, In 2012. Okay. So So I'm actually going to. To my reunion, my first reunion this Ooh, year. Five year That's reunion. Exciting. I know Do the baby give, reunion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they give paper. I don't know. What um, so it's been five years that you've been out out of school. So you've spent way less time in the workforce than oh, you have. Not and, even to mention like the postdoc, which is pretty much like oh my school too. So I'm only like a year and a half into oh like gosh. real life. So yeah, let's, let's <laughs> talk about that. I'm curious. Like, are you are you happy to be out of school, or are you like how do you how has the adjustment been? Ah, uh, so <laughs> this is see when you have these experiences, you can you know tell these to your mentees, right? Yeah. Um, no one gives you training on like oh, when you finish this part, you're going to make twice as much as you did here okay. or three times. It's kind of like um, medical students; they get this too. It's like they go from being a resident to making four hundred grand a year, and it's like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I'll just pay off all my student loans right. now. <laughs> like, this is why I did this. Yeah. Um, well, I, I I try to keep my life pretty simple. I'm very simple. Um, it has been a transition because I originally planned on just staying in academia forever. Mm-hmm. And I made a huge leap and yeah. went into industry. Yeah. Which is, I feel like and that's, um, that's sort of a decision-making process that almost every grad student goes through, I feel, oh, yeah. especially in the sciences. Oh, it's like yeah. this, the age old push and pull of academia versus industry. Yes. And I feel like industry very often gets painted as this like, this dark place. Yeah. Like, like evil dun, corporations dun, dun, dun. with all their money. Like, you should <laughs> right. stay in your, you know, in the ivory tower of learning and like yeah. be a good person. Like, right. They make I you feel like, feel like people ethically get really guilty for going to industry. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. It was so hard. So I was actually like writing grants and like doing the academic, you know, trail, which mind you, the mentor for graduate school, like I still talk to her, you know, till now. And she was also like, you know, encouraging me um she's in academia and Mm. of course I had a big network and so I did do some academic interviews um and industry was painted as this dark place but I think kind of during my postdoc I realized that my role in industry wouldn't necessarily be the job I retire at Mm. and I had some mentors when I was in my postdoc like faculty advisor mentors. And they told me, you know, whatever job you take, like it's not the end. And when I kind of like realized that was kind of was like, okay, well, this is just a step and I need to figure out what I need from this next step. Yeah. So I thought very short term, like Mm -hmm. three 
to five years. Right. Because ultimately that's like long-term for most people who have like a a working life. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and then I think now, you know, our generation, I don't know many people who work at the same place for 10 years. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't happen. It's very rare. It's not like our parents where they like, you know, 45 years and then you retire and then you, well, it's because company, you know, well, that's because companies believed in the people too. There was much, there was the the pension and Mm -hmm. it was, you know, there was family as, you know, that's what the company painted as and that has changed. That's not really the case anymore. No, no not so anyway. much. Not so much. I'm curious though about where you're working now and what you're actually working on. Yeah. Are you doing evil things? I'm doing evil things. I'm making little minions. <laughs> <laughs> They're so cute. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the funny thing is, is what I'm doing now is nothing like what I was doing at Mount Sinai or really ever before. Um, but it had the same skill set, which made it very easy to transition. So when I was interviewing, um, the position, I was actually, I wasn't actually interviewing. So I went on, I met this uh, guy at a conference that we had and he, uh, we were, you know, at a event and we were the only two people of color. So naturally we gravitate to each other and say, Hey, and, and then he was like, Oh, I know you're a mentor. We should do lunch. And I, I just sent him a message because I was like, Oh, Illumina is like the number one place in genomics. Like we, everyone is a household name. Um, so everyone knows about Illumina. And so I was like, well, maybe I can talk to him and maybe he may know about some other positions in there. I should just go to lunch with this guy. And he never replied to my LinkedIn message for a year later, (laughs) which turned out to be perfect time. Um, and then by that time I was like, I'm never working there. I'm just going to go to lunch and we'll see. And then I went to lunch and, uh, maybe about two weeks after that, I went on vacation and his boss called my boss, which was really scary because I hadn't told my boss that I was like, ah. uh, awkward. But again, having great mentors and she just like completely like, you know, played it cool and was like, Janina's great. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of like they kind of made a position. So um, I don't know what Illumina does. Okay. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a people. brief. It's so funny that you're like, oh, it's a household name. I'm like, like really? It's a household need in this little small <laughs> little right, area exactly. that we well, work for, in. Well, for, for those listeners who yes. may not know. Yes. Those very few <laughs> listeners. I will give you, um, so you guys are all familiar with um, diagnostic testing. Yes. And um, you may have heard of Ancestry.com yeah. or 23andMe yes. and yes. all of these companies now. There's one actually not far from where we are right now called Recombine. Okay, yeah. Um, and all of these companies are running genetic tests. And so what Illumina does is they do a couple of things. They sell um, the the machines, I guess you can say, that do, that run the tests. Um, They also sell, in some cases, um, assays. So it's for you to do the tests. Um, So another one good example is cancer screening. So we make cancer panels Mm. um, that hospitals use to test for cancer. Um, My particular... Um, sector is more related to the ancestry 23 and me kind of side. I mean, those are like the big names everybody knows. That's so like the those. fun stuff anyway. Yeah. yeah, so. the fun stuff. That's fine. yeah. <laughs> so I was a population geneticist in my postdoc oh, and um, my mentor from postdoc, she's like the best population geneticist ever. She's really, really well known. She's great. And um, anyway, I learned all these great skills working with her and it transitioned into me kind of helping Illumina make products that are population aware, as you may say. So my very first project at Illumina was creating um, creating what we call an array, but basically selecting the variant, the best variants for mm-hmm. companies like Ancestry or their equivalents overseas to use for their customers. Wow. And so the the challenge with this product is was that um, typically these these are made very population specific. So you know in Europe you have a Europe focused array, and in Africa there's an African focused array, and in Asia you know. Um, but we wanted to make a global array, mm. and so using like the techniques that I learned in my postdoc. And my computational skills, I was able to help create an array that really 
spans all uh, populations. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so okay. I feel like yeah. in the company of such smartness right now. <laughs> it sounds yeah. way complicated Please. than it actually well, is. Well, I, <laughs> I know I'm, I'm trying to put this in um, context. So when you say pop- population genetics, you know, my mind is thinking obviously about the different the different population pools, like what you were just saying, like Asia, Africa, Europe. And so I'm thinking Ancestry.com, the way that works, my limited knowledge of that, I didn't know that you would like take different strains from different parts. And it sounds like what you're doing. I'm trying to make this as layman as possible. I can explain it. To be like (laughs) across all. Yeah. So pretty much um, what happens is, you know, you send, you know, your spit to Ancestry and they do PCR. Mm -hmm. They isolate and extract your DNA and they replicate it. And um, then they genotype it. So basically what that means is looking across the entire genome, they pick out uh, what I do at least is I give them a list of areas that they should focus on that will help them kind of get the results from the test. Interesting. And so they take your DNA and they pull out those areas and then they take yours and they compare it with samples that they have in house. Mm. And so if you match closely to one sample, then your result will say, oh, well, you're this or, or you're this that. Or you're a percent that. this or right. you're a percent that in terms yes. of ancestry. Mm. Yes. And then you fill out this long, extensive survey in some cases like 23andMe and then they would in addition to that, tell you your results for disease. Right. Which is crazy. Very yeah. creepy. Have you done this before? Have you, have I you have done? not. That is hilarious. I know. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I was making a face, but it's because I also feel like I could probably get behind the Ancestry.com stuff, but I don't think I want to know the disease stuff. But if you know the disease stuff, then you can help to mitigate it. Maybe. Yes. Well, by doing so, there's a question. So that's a like question a maybe I have for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> is if you were, well, I guess I know your answer yeah. now. But <laughs> <laughs> if you were to submit your test to Twenty Three and Me, yeah, would you want to know things that you can't one prevent or two? Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fix. I guess you could. Well, say. yes. Yes, I would. You would want to know? I would. I would. Well, so the, well, first of all, I, I mean, it, I think it'd be hard to be like, so if, let's take Parkinson's, for example, right? So I would just, maybe that's something that you would get results yeah, for. Yeah, Huntington's, part, like those very right. rare things. Yeah, yeah this is rare things. I mean, I think it's good to know so you can like kind of prepare. Um, I'm like, I'm a planner. You are so a planner. So for me, it would be like, <laughs> and then for the types of cancers, it'd be really good because then you would know to get regular screenings. Mm. On that particular kind. I guess, like, it would depend if it was, like, and I, I'm not, I've obviously never looked into this because, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> so I don't know exactly how it works, but I guess it would depend on, like, if it was, oh, you are, like, at risk or if you have, like, a percentage that you could potentially get it or if it was, like, you're definitely going to get this because if it was, like, oh, you have, like, a predisposition to potentially someday maybe one and whatever getting something, something, something. I don't think I'd want to know that unless it was something that I could like eat more carrots and like not get that thing. Because <laughs> then I would obviously eat more eat carrots. More carrots. <laughs> Just eat more carrots. But if it was like, oh, you're going to like, I don't know, get dementia and it's like 100% going to happen and there's literally nothing you can do, then I probably would not want to know that because I would just be like, it would hang over me. Maybe like the better way to give the results for 23, this is advice for 23 and me. I hope they're listening. From 23 (laughs) is instead of giving you like the results, just say like, these are the things that you should do. Eat more carrots. Get this screening. <laughs> That's obviously going to cure cancer. Watch more TV. <laughs> We're not going to tell you what the things like, are. We're take a multivitamin say. every day. Which you probably should Actually, it'll probably be like exercise. Stop drinking alcohol. Be a um, good human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> live longer. That's all. Drink whiskey, apparently, to some of the... Some I mean, I, I can, have, like, I can understand, it. like you know, being like, oh, you should get screenings if you have like a family history of whatever, right. especially I'm, I'm sure if this is really valuable if you don't actually know what your family history is, like if you're yeah. adopted or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. I thought about it before. I don't know. Well, I, okay. So there are now a couple I'm definitely going to do this after. One thing <laughs> is that, like you said, like the tests are not exactly 
they're not going to tell you with 100%, oh, yeah. this, oh, that. Um, when I was in graduate school, like all of the professors, they all did the test. And one of them, he was like completely bald and had been bald for like 10, 15 years. And he had a 0% risk of becoming bald. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the tests are the, only as good as the people who and you're there like you go. So, that is closet true. head shaver, eh? Yeah. <laughs> I actually did the U-biome <laughs> test, but I never got the results. Oh. I know. That's weird. I know. Anyway, there's a lot of testing. But yeah, we have some standard questions. We have okay. we get to honestly, I, I mean, feel like we could keep talking about this. <laughs> I know. We'll have maybe we'll have to do a part two just about like genetic just testing. Just about twenty three and me and genetic yeah, testing, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Once they sponsor our next episode, <laughs> we'll just only talk about that. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> but until then, um, we have some you know like standard questions. We have a big one. Okay. So yeah. especially given like what you've been talking about with all the studies in the past, and now you've got this, and you were just saying like this isn't something you're gonna. Necessarily necessarily do forever do you have thoughts on what your what future you is going to be slash do yeah so i talked about it at she geeks out um but you know it's not like you know uh, it's not it's not like as far along as you guys are (laughs) with she geeks out um but ultimately i I definitely want to do something um that's geared towards mentorship and Mm -hmm. stem particularly for women um and women of color and kind of somehow incorporating that with um, computational mm. and top- computational coding and skills and mm. skill set. Um, but like I talked about today, a lot of the programs that exist right now are really focused on the education and don't necessarily take into account the whole environmental side of things mm. and the mentorship and having the experiences and having the exposure. Um, Completely. And so... Definitely, I you know the iron- irony is I didn't stay in academia, but I ultimately see myself retiring oh, in some say, type of you're academic. Not, you're thing. not done yet. No, I'm not <laughs> done yet. No. Um, but I'll tell you one of the things I really like about the job that I have now is that I'm getting global exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe when we wanted to set up the podcast the first time, I was in Asia. Yeah. Yes, you were. Yes. Um, I was in Asia for like four and a half weeks. Oh my gosh! Um, How was that? Oh, it was, it was hard. I was so like over it by the time I got back. Um, but one of the great things about it is that I'm being able to do science with all types of scientists. Mm. And so I'm learning culturally how they think about genetics, which is not exact how they, meaning the rest of the world, think is about genetics. It's not exactly the way we do here in the U.S. Mm. Um, and the laws that come with it and, you know, what's important to them culturally mm. and how to communicate with them. Um, and I don't know, I, I really like networking has always been a great thing for me. And now I'm being able to kind of build a name for myself um, scientifically, um, which I think is really important because I'm younger. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. not young, but yes, like, you're, oh, you're, you're young, please. No, I'm not. But, <laughs> but like, now is the time that I can do it because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not married and I don't have kids and, uh, why not? The world is your oyster. The world is, yeah. You're living in New York. (laughs) I'm living in New York. So yeah, yeah, so I travel, I travel a lot and I, and I'm, you know, I complain about it sometimes, but when I actually like talk to all different types of people, I realize that it's definitely helped me grow. Well, we should keep talking about the, um, your future plans for mentorship for- Yes. Yeah. Well, it's coming together. It's coming together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exciting. We'll follow up with you on that. Um, so I think we are almost out of time. So do we have, we have a few more little ones? Do we have do, no time for any of these? We have like a minute or so. <laughs> <laughs> we have some time. All right. I'm just afraid we're going to get kicked out of this room. We won't get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you reading right now? Oh, um, so I am reading, okay, I'm starting, I should say, uh, Americana. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And Swing Time. Oh, I don't know that one. Yes. Let me see if I can pull it up on my Kindle. <laughs> That's okay. Um, no pressure. We can look it up. Yeah, Swing Time. Um, both of them, I believe Swing Time is also by a Nigerian author. I know Americana is. Yes. yes. And Americana is a love story. Mm -hmm. Um, Swing Time is supposed to be, uh, I don't think it's a love story. I think it's about these two sisters who kind of like go back in time. But it's like on the bestsellers list right now. And I have lots of friends reading it. So I'm interested in reading it. But 
I am starting them. I'm not actually reading them. That is right look, now. I'm reading understand. the news and the blogs. Yes. <laughs> oh, I know, it's so Can't look away. Tempting. <laughs> all right. Now you got pieces. me. Now you got me all worried about getting kicked out of this room. So we can, we can wrap it up. Oh. I got nervous. <laughs> Sorry. She got me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, do you want to do the last one? I feel like, do, why, don't you do the, why okay. don't you do the last one? Cause your favorite question. It is my, it is my favorite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's your personal anthem? Oh, right now it doesn't. Have okay, to be I was like, it changes. I know. I mean, today, just at this moment. Oh, okay. How you're feeling? I have two. Okay, okay. that's the totally first fair. one is Bruno Mars, Twenty Four Karat. Oh, oh yeah. Because it's something of like the energy is just like yes. So good. Do you watch The Voice? No. Okay, you should watch The Voice because it was the most amazing <laughs> performance of that song. I'm oh, just one of the contestants. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're and like, I don't know, Bruno Mars. No, I'm really, telling yeah. you, it's gonna blow, it's gonna <laughs> blow your mind. It. It's gonna blow your mind. Anyway, and then um, I guess an oldie but goodie is um, Jill Scott. It's called "Living My Life Like It's Golden." Mm. It's called Golden, I think. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's an older song, but it always, you know, picks me up. And like, those are good very positive happy songs yeah they're very happy i love that that's so good <laughs> it's perfect for a day like today where it's all very sunny after a lot of gloom I know. yeah so thank you so much thank you for guys. this is amazing coming here and doing this with us and we, really you are wonderful and it's and inspiring and i know that all of our listeners will take a lot from this. Yeah, and actually what we'll do is we'll include yes. a link to um, the YouTube video from okay. last fall's event yes. and so people can actually see you. you I've actually met some people since then. Really? Yeah, you must have posted I think you posted it on Twitter or something. We probably did. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys so much. Oh, thank you. Such an amazing yeah. experience. Oh, Thanks. so glad that you were a part of it. And, um, and Thanks for having this for, you know, all of the girls out there want to geek out. We love the geeking out. Yes. <laughs> it's a really amazing platform you have. Oh, thanks so much. Well, thanks for being a part of it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. <laughs> Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.